Let's do this. Okay. So, hi, welcome to Ayurveda Nutrition Principles, and uh, this is a class brought to you by the Necessary Nutrition Academy, and I am Robin, your nutrition strategist, and uh, before I introduce um, Dr. Smurl, just wanted to, again, welcome you, and people ask me, well, what does it mean to be a strategist, and my, my primary goal is to help people figure out what foods will work best for their body and I still have so much information to learn as well as I have so much information so this is a wonderful topic I don't know how many of you are familiar with Ayurveda um, but there's certain guidelines and certain ways to eat and reasons why and all of that and so I'm excited to learn as uh, alongside you all with that um, our community, we have a mix of online and offline classes, and with the, the way the technology is changing, we're able to do more classes online. Um, our next in-person class will happen in November, so stay tuned for those details um, that will come out via email. So I, I know that people are, are popping on or going to pop on, but let's... Um, to the folks that are on let's just get started and I'm, I'm really excited again to to bring this topic to you all and to, to have dr. Smurl Christy Smurl share with us her knowledge and expertise her bio is up there she will tell you a little bit more about her but I like the fact that she as a part of the Western medicine world and a part of also then the the more holistic um, part of the world. So having knowledge in both areas is, is very, very powerful. And so with that being said, uh, welcome Dr. Smurl, Christy Smurl, how are you? Can you hear I am me? wonderful. You can hear me okay? Yep. Perfect. Perfect. So I will uh, be quiet and, um, and have you two to connect I do want to say this, if you all have questions, for sure at the end we'll open it up for questions. However, if you have a question and you know how to type that question into the chat box, then we will go ahead and facilitate that. So I repeat, at the end, we'll definitely uh, facilitate questions, but we also know that there may be questions that come up through the, the presentation that you are itching and burning to get answered please do uh, type them into the chat and we will make sure that they get answered. All right, well, welcome everyone and let's, um, let's get started. Thank you. All right, well, Robin, first of all, thank you very much for having me on and thank you everybody for joining us. So again, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Dr. Christy Smurl and today I'm gonna to talk about Ayurvedic nutrition. So my background, I've been working in an acute care Western medicine settings for 25 years now. So I started working at St. Bernadine's Hospital when I was 19. And I went on to get my nurse practitioner and master of science at Loma Linda University. And when I started working at the top of my career, I was working in the ER and I thought, wow, you know, I've learned so much and I'm gonna help people feel well, but I didn't feel completely well myself. So I started looking to other modalities of health and long story short, I ended up going to the American University of Complementary Medicine and completing my clinical doctorate in Ayurvedic Medicine. And I'll tell you a little bit about Ayurvedic Medicine when we get started too. 
So in addition to that, I do a lot of yoga teacher training and teach people how to keep their body and their mind well and healthy. But a major component of that is through nutrition as well. I also do energy medicine as well as I'm a Reiki master and teacher. And then I do a lot of education on health and wellness through healthiervibrations.com. So again, if you have any questions at any point, feel free to type them in and then I'll stop periodically. And that way you're not going the entire session having a question and maybe some of it's confusing. So do feel free to ask questions and I'll stop periodically. So one of my favorite analogies of Ayurvedic medicine as well as other philosophies is if the diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. If the diet is correct, medicine is of no need. So that's one reason why we really focus heavily on nutrition and particularly when we're looking at wellness of the body and the mind from an Ayurvedic standpoint. So a few things that I want to make sure that you learn or grasp in this presentation. One, that you understand the basic theories of Ayurveda. Because if I don't explain some of the basic fundamentals, like the Panchamahabhutas and the Tridosha theories, the rest isn't going to make sense. I'm also going to be talking about principles of rasa related to nutrition in correlation with the Panchamahabhutas and the Tridoshic theory. And then we'll also talk about and get an introduction to what certain foods aggravate or pacify those three doshas and our overall health. Okay, so let's talk for a moment and I wanna introduce you to what is Ayurveda? So Ayurveda was the science of health and wellness and it originated in India thousands of years ago. It's a uninterrupted method of well-being that's been practiced in large-scale hospitals in India. It's now gaining a lot of popularity and mainstreaming into European countries and now the United States. So it really is something that you're gonna hear a lot more about. It's a time-tested methodology of wellness and keep your eyes open because you'll be hearing a lot more about it here in the United States. Soon they'll be standardizing the education as well. So the first thing that I wanna go over so that you can understand what I'm talking about in nutrition, there's two main principles we need to comprehend. The first is called the Panchamahabhuta principles, and the second is the Tri-Dosha model. So let's take a look at those. First of all, when I say the term Panchamahabhutas, now remember a lot of these words are gonna be in Sanskrit, and there's not necessarily a direct translation from that language, but I'll make as many translations as possible so it makes crystal clear sense. So pancha means five. Bhutas are elements, every living thing. So we have the five elements. We have space, air, fire, water, and earth. Now in Sanskrit, we say prithi, apeja, vayu, and akash, or akasha. But I'll refer to them in the English terms. Space, air, fire, water, and earth. Now, when we look at the main principles of the Panchamahabhutas, 
we want to also come into a correlation to understand that everything outside of us, our macrocosm, the environment around us influences so much of what happens on the inside of us. So when we're looking at these elements, we're gonna be thinking about them in terms of what is happening outside of us and inside of us. But I'll get to that point. Now, just as a brief overview, what is the tri-dosha model? So in Ayurveda, we have a term called dosha. And a dosha is essentially a biologic energy that controls all physical body physiology. It controls all of the body's functions. Now, when I first heard about this in Western medicine, from my Western medicine background, I thought, well, what about the Krebs cycle and all of those other chemical processes that happen in the body? But in Ayurveda, we understand everything from these three doshas. And when these three doshas are properly balanced, we have health and wellness. When the doshas become accumulated or depleted, we see symptoms and substrates for disease. But when we understand what's happening outside of our body and inside of our body, we get a perfect interaction or as close to perfect as possible. So let's take a look at what I'm talking about with this macrocosm concept and microcosm concept. So in Ayurveda, we understand that there's three main principles outside of us that make the highest influence from the macrocosm. So we've got the sun, the wind, and the moon. Now let's just think of the sun for a moment. So we need the sun for photosynthesis, for warmth, for life. But if we have too much effect of the sun, we get excessive heat, burning, possibly incompatibility with life. And we also get things like heat storms. Now on the outside in that macrocosm, we also have the element of wind that we take into deep consideration. And we want enough wind, otherwise we get stagnancy, staleness. But if we have too much wind, external, then we have dryness, too much wind, wind storms, tornadoes, etc. Now let's take a look at the moon element. Outside of us, the moon element offers that beautiful coolness, that calming effect on us. So now in Ayurveda, the rishis and sages understood that these three elements outside of us in our macrocosm also translate internally to a microcosm. So when we look at the element of the sun outside of us, we have internally an equivalent function or one of the doshas, which is called pitta. And pitta is responsible and contributes to the physiological functions inside the body of transformation, warmth, conversion, metabolism. So it's responsible for a lot of digestive factors, hormonal factors, and that overall heat and metabolism within our body. So if we don't have enough pitta, we tend to get coolness and not proper transformation in the body, not proper digestion in the body, and the metabolism can suffer. But just like if you have too much sun in the outside environment, you get heat storms. 
if you have too much pitta that accumulates with the foods that you eat or the lifestyles you do, then you begin to accumulate that heat element inside the body. So we start seeing heat-related problems, rashes, inflammation, burning eyes, burning mouth ulcers, burning bowels, burning urine, and also cranky thinking, aggravated, hot-tempered. So we understand this direct correlation. Now, if we look at that macrocosmic element of wind that we discussed, we need enough wind not to be stale and stagnant, but not so much wind that we're causing wind storms. We look at that internally in our, our microcosm, and we call that dosha vata, V-A-T-A, vata. And this is the dosha that is responsible for all movement in the body. So if we don't have enough of this wind type element or the dosha we call vata, then we don't have enough movement within the body. So let's take a severe example. Let's say you have a stroke due to an embolism or you know, a blockage of blood flow in the mind, in the brain channels, in the actual structure, then movement ceases. So you know, if you have a stroke, one arm might not work, one leg might not work, might not be able to talk. And that is vata being blocked from its normal physiologic pathway. Now, if we have too much vata in the body, then we get movement-related problems. So we see things like tremors, shakiness, hyperactivity disorder, attention deficit disorder. We see problems like wind in the mind with anxiety, looping thoughts, insomnia, or you get a windy body. You know, if you're out in the wind for too long, you start getting dry, you get chapped lips, your skin gets kind of cracky. But what is it doing on the inside when vata or that wind-related element gets too high? You start seeing windy bowels, so you get gas, bloating, and a whole host of other problems. Now we talked about the moon being that third macrocosmic element. Inside the body, in our microcosm, we relate this element and it's called kapha. And kapha is related to this solid, strengthening, nourishing element within the body. So if we don't have enough kapha within the body, whether it's not through, uh, whether it's due to not proper nutrition or lifestyle, if we have a depletion of kapha, we start getting weakened bodies. Our joints become weakened. Our muscles may not be properly nourished, our tendons, our ligaments, our bones, we start seeing a depletion of the body. But if we eat the wrong foods and kapha accumulates in the body, we start seeing problems like obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, weight gain, swelling, and then we also see problems like tumors, cysts, and abnormal growths. So it's really important that we understand this tridoshic theory and model. But we got to go a little bit deeper. And this is kind of like a super crash course into Ayurveda. There's so much more information that I teach on healthiervibrations.com. But this is enough information so that what I talk about in nutrition is going to make sense.
but you gotta grasp this, okay? So when we take a look at this tridoshic model, these three forces that control everything within the body, vata, pitta, and kapha, we understand that vata is composed of space and air. Now we talked about the five elements, panchamahabhutas, space, air, fire, earth, and water, right? So vata is composed of space and air. Pitta is composed of fire and water, whereas kapha is composed of water and earth. You're gonna wanna remember this when I get farther into the nutrition, okay? And I'll go back over it again. So we wanna understand how those five elements compose into our body and create three major forces, which we call doshas. Now let's go a little farther. We talked already about excessive vata within the body. If we're eating too much excessive vata foods, and I'll go over what are foods that aggravate vata, we have vata excess, insomnia, looping thoughts, too much movement, hyperactivity, insomnia, dryness, constipation, dry bowels. And we talked about pitta, if that's an excess, we have heat, inflammation, we have burning, irritation, cranky angriness in the mind. And if we have too much kapha in the body, we tend to get excessive tissue development, whether it's diabetes, obesity, high cholesterol, and like I said, polyps, tumors, and cysts, things like that. So let's go into the nutrition aspect now. In Ayurveda, we understand that each food we eat has a very specific rasa, or in English, we would call it a taste or a flavor. So we're going to look at what each of these rasas or flavors do to the body based off of what they do to Watapitakapha and how they are composed of either fire, water, air, etc. So eventually, if you master this subject, I teach an entire 10 hour course just on the nutrition portion, an entire 10 hour course just introducing Ayurveda. But by the end of this lecture, I want you to be able to look at your plate and say, oh, there's fire element on my plate. There's earth element on my plate. Half of what I'm eating can be beneficial to pitta or everything on my plate is going to be too much kapha, okay? So that's where we would be heading. So our six tastes, we have madura, amla, lavana, ketu or katu, tikta, and kashaya. So in English, we've got sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, and astringent. Now, ideally, you should get an assortment of all of these flavors on a regular basis, but you should understand that according to the flavor, the taste you put in your mouth, that will either increase or decrease pitta, vata, or kapha in your body. So let's say you're diabetic and you're 50 pounds overweight and you feel slow and heavy and sluggish. 
you're not going to want to eat more foods that aggravate kapha because the kapha is already over accumulated in the body. So when we're done with this class, you should understand what foods those are. Let's say you're cranky, fussy, hot flashes, skin inflammation, heartburn, and diarrhea. Chances are you maybe hit the aggravated. So you're going to want to know what foods aggravate pitta and lay off of those until you come back into balance. That's why we say when the food is correct, the medicine is no longer as needed or needed at all. So we have these six tastes, but let's take a look at what taste does what. Hopefully you can see both those screens at the same time. If not, you can go back and look at them. Now, before I go on, are there any major questions right now? Because I don't want anybody confused going into the next segment. Okay. So you can see in the one category, I have the label rasa, that's the flavor. And in the other aisle, it says vidya. Let me explain vidya for a moment. So vidya is basically its major action on the body. And we're only going to talk about whether it's hot or cold. So shita is cold, ushna is hot. Now, when we take a look at madura or the sweet flavor, let's just say a piece of candy, a sweet piece of candy, we put it in our mouth. It stimulates the taste buds on the tongue because the taste buds on your tongue are now going to send a signal to your brain to determine how you're going to digest this food. But when we're eating a lot of sweet food, we begin to accumulate within the body a coldness. And we'll talk later about the correlation between hot and cold as far as vata pitta kapha. So we know for sure that coldness will begin to aggravate kapha and vata, whereas heat will begin to aggravate pitta. So we wanna be thinking along these terms. Now, when we have something that is really salty, we understand that salty flavor creates a heating action within the body. Same thing with amla or sour. Sour creates a heating quality within the body. Same thing with pungent or katu, that would be like chili peppers that creates heat action within the body. Whereas if we look at kashaya, astringent, let's say um, cinnamon, it has a cooling action in the body or bitter things such as, you know, bitter greens or dandelion greens, bitter elixirs, those create a cooling action within the body. So let's wrap our minds around that for a second. If we know that pitta, that dosha pitta, responsible for heat and transformation within our body, if we understand that that dosha is made of the two panchamahabhutas, water and fire, we know that pitta is hot, right? So if we're always hot, cranky, nasty in the mind, or we're having burning and problems related to our skin or our mucous membranes or digestive system, you're gonna to wanna to lay off the salty food because that creates heat in the body. 
You're gonna to wanna to lay off sour foods that creates heat in the body. Same thing with pungent foods because those create more heat. So a good example of this, I don't know if any of you have eaten one of those sour candies. Uh, my daughter gave me one one time, it's called a warhead. And I put the candy on my tongue and I'm, oh wow, that's really sour. And it felt like it actually burnt my tongue. So if you have too much sour, you're gonna create more heat in the body. So we wanna start thinking about our food choices along these lines. And this will make more sense as we go on. This is another chart. And this is going to illustrate how the types of flavors you eat, how that affects wata, pitta, or kapha. So sweetness, madura, candy, um, sweet breads, things along those natures. And I'll go over a whole list of foods too. Sweet flavors increase kapha in the body. So obviously if you're diabetic, you're not gonna eat sweet foods, right? If you've gained too much weight, you're gonna lay off the sweets too. But it also goes for sweet flavors. Whereas sweetness helps pacify and reduce the heat and inflammation of pitta, and it also helps reduce the cold airiness of vata. Now, salty also increases kapha. Salty also increases pitta. So if you're hot and inflamed, or you've gained too much tissue, or you have overgrowths, or you're heavy and tired, you're going to lay off the salt. But saltiness helps reduce and pacify vata. So if the person has a lot of hyperactivity and things of those natures, salty may be beneficial. Now this is very general nutrition information, and I don't recommend that you try to self-analyze or self-diagnose, but this can be very helpful. If you have you know, major significant health disorders, I recommend going to an Ayurvedic doctor, having a full evaluation, because everybody, everybody's body and constitution is very unique and different. But let's take a look at sour now. So sour has that heating quality, so that heating quality is gonna reduce kapha and vata, but it will increase pitta. Now, when we took a look at pungent, pungent has the ability to aggravate and increase vata and pitta, decrease kapha. And when we look at astringent, it has the same properties. Whereas if we look at bitter, bitter greens, Bitter greens can aggravate kapha, or excuse me, aggravate vata, but decrease pitta and kapha. So, oh, that's a lot of information all of a sudden. Well, let's take a look at how it makes more sense. So, we understand vata is made of air and space. We understand that the dosha vata is cold, dry, minute, and mobile. So when we eat certain foods, we understand that it can increase or decrease certain factors within the body. So when we look at vata, again, the symptoms of vata being too elevated is that dry, hyper, cold, sleepless, gassy, bloated, 
dry bowels, maybe constipation, dry hair, dry nails. If those are types of symptoms that a person is demonstrating, they're going to want to get rid of the foods that aggravate vata. Now, what were those flavors? Bitter aggravates vata, astringent aggravates vata, pungent aggravates vata. But let's just look at some normal food examples. So one of the first things that if somebody has vata type aggravated symptoms, they wanna get rid of cold meals. So some people will say, oh, you know, I eat super, super healthy. I eat a big giant cold salad every day with ice cold tea. That's horrible for vata. So if the vata has been aggravated in the body, they wanna avoid cold meals, cold fluids, iced drinks, as well as carbonation. So if vata is already space and air, we don't wanna drink air bubbles in our, in our water. Or soda would be even worse because it's sugary and carbonated. So sugar type drinks will always increase vata. So let's say you've got a 15 year old child who has the diagnosis of hyperactivity disorder, they have problems with their bowels, they have insomnia, they're always hyper and chatty and never calm down. Get rid of the cold food. Give them warm soupy foods. Get rid of cold fluids. Give them warm teas or just room temperature. Get rid of the carbonated drinks and especially the sugary carbonated drinks. I've had so many cases and scenarios where people um, brought cases to me of their children who are about to be put on Ritalin and other types of pharmaceuticals for hyperactivity disorder. I just cut out about 10 items from their meals and switched what type of food they eat and the condition was reversed without pharmaceuticals, just through what they eat. Now, if you have this type of aggravation of vata, you wanna also avoid raw vegetables. So if you're a raw food eater, it's going to be more difficult for you than let's say somebody who has the body constitution that's more kapha-like or pitta-like. We didn't go into that too much because we're trying to get it all kind of crammed into nutrition. But anyways, now if we have symptoms of vata aggravation, we want to get rid of all cruciferous vegetables, cooked or raw. So if vata has been aggravated in the body with that dry quality, raw vegetables will worsen it. So we recommend that you eat cooked vegetables. Now, naturally, we could go into also what's better, boil, steam, saute. I recommend either steam or saute. But when it comes to the cruciferous vegetables, we say no, whether cooked or raw. And cruciferous vegetables are broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, those types, um, also cabbage. So those would be avoided completely until Vata is rebalanced. Other foods to completely reduce or avoid if vata is aggravated in the body, cold cereals, crackers, chips, rice cakes, and popcorn. So those are all cold and dry and flaky. So if the body is already cold, dry, and flaky or hypermobile, we don't want to feed it more of the same quality. And then a couple oddball items, couscous, 
that's a grain that does aggravate vata and also beans. So you know the saying about beans. Beans, beans, the magical fruit, the more you eat, you get the point. <laughs> so when vata is aggravated, sometimes there's already enough gas and bloating and belching. So we wanna avoid beans until the balance is put back into order. Now let's take a look at pitta. There's a so question. we talked a little bit about what, yes. So when you're saying to avoid these foods until it's back, so this is a fair question. So how long in, based on these principles would someone be avoiding these foods like raw vegetables or cruciferous vegetables? That's an, that's an excellent question. So, you know, when we see people at the university and we have situations where there's actual disease processes, we want to be able to make sure that the person comes back into balance and that's very individualized. So some people, it depends on how long their disease process has been occurring. So if they've got a, a disease process that's been accumulating for 10 years, you may have to avoid those foods for an entire year or more. Let's say though, maybe you just traveled, you've been on a plane a lot, which can aggravate vata, and maybe you've been away from home just eating kind of weird and different, and you start having these symptoms, but the symptoms have only been maybe a week or two or three weeks then you just avoid them for maybe a few weeks until you feel back into balance. But it also depends on if there's an actual disease process. So a disease process, let's say it's a child with hyperactivity disorder and a behavioral problem related to it. They may need to avoid these foods completely long-term. So we didn't go into depth about prakruti, and vikruti. So prakruti in Ayurveda is your baseline body type. Like I said, I teach a whole class on this. So we're missing some of the information that makes it make more sense. But when you know your exact body type, you are able to understand, oh, I am more so a vata prone body type, or I'm more of a pitta prone body type, or I'm more of a kapha prone body type, and your prakruti is set in utero. It never changes. But our vikruti, the balance between vata, pitta, and kapha, it changes with what we eat, with our lifestyle. It changes with the season, and it also changes with the major seasons of life. So the major seasons of life, we've got birth, to puberty, puberty to menopause, or you could say menopause as well, and then later life. So each of those three life phases have different influences. So it's kind of a hard question to answer. How long would you avoid these foods? It would depend on how long the aggravation occurred. And if it was just a little imbalance or if it was a long time coming disease process that was a really good question are there any other questions before we go on no i just know that um we're we are recording it that was a question that came up so that they can be able to review 
some of the information. I do have a question because it is a lot and it can be confusing. So I understand you teach the classes, but do you also then in the class you teach or do you help a person with a menu or how can a person get kind of figure out their body type and then test out the, the balance of the foods? How does that, how can one get to that? That's a really good question. There's a lot of online quizzes online and I really don't recommend them because it can lead us to believe that we're a certain body type when actually we're not. The best way to do it is to actually have a consultation. Um, I'm not doing consultations right now until spring of next year, but if you're interested in going to a highly qualified person for your dosha determination or your prakruti vikruti determination you can go to southern california university health sciences i'm gonna say that again southern california university health sciences it is the number one ranked university of ayurveda in the united states currently and it's in whittier california um, I do do online consultations just for nutrition, and I can help you guide what is your general prakruti and vikruti as well. So if you're interested in that, just buzz me on healthiervibrations.com and I can help you out with that. But one of the biggest pitfalls I find is that people either do the online quizzes and they confuse themselves even more, or they cause worse imbalance and disturbances, or they go to an undereducated, underqualified Ayurvedic practitioner. Because there's a huge difference between the types of Ayurvedic providers. There's a one-year educator, there's a two-year certificate program, and then there's doctorate level. So there's also people who take a couple weekend courses and then they call themselves an Ayurvedic practitioner because it's not currently um, regulated in the United States. So some people do make false claims of being an Ayurvedic practitioner. So just ask for the credentials. Okay. So let's talk about Pitta. So we said, if you know your Pitta aggravated, you're gonna have symptoms like heartburn, burning mucous membranes, maybe burning bowels, burning urine, red eyes, skin inflammation, overall body inflammation, overall body heat or localized areas of abnormal heat like hot flashes or it can affect the mind so people will start getting like i said cranky or even downright aggressive and restless so we know if that is a condition or symptoms that are occurring we want to get rid of the pit the aggravating foods so we said earlier we know that um sour food and spicy food can aggravate them, but let's look at specific food items. So hit the aggravating food items are spicy foods. We're talking about tapatio, cholula, hot sauce. Um, it doesn't matter if it's verde or not. If it's a hot chili, it's a hot chili. So avoid them completely. We wanna also be careful of hit the aggravating foods like mustard, pickles, ketchup, vinegar. We need to be very careful if pitta is aggravated with alcohol of any kind and coffee, particularly coffee on an empty stomach. We also need to be very careful and back away from nightshades if we have pitta aggravated symptoms. And nightshades are tomatoes, 
bell peppers, chilies, eggplants, as well as, what was the other one? Oh, we already mentioned it. Spicy chilies, so red chilies. All those nightshades cause heat and inflammation in the body. But then there's some not so obvious ones like raw beets, radishes, garlic, raw onions. And then we have, remember we said the flavor sour. So sour fruits, sour foods, sour fruits, or sour juices. So you might get a strawberry and it's super, super sweet. Or you might get a strawberry and it's sour. If it's sour, it may aggravate the pitta. But we have very um, specific fruits that are more prone towards being sour, even on the ripe side. And those are things like um, cranberries. We also have kiwis tend to be more sour. But you can really get some sweet fruit. So it also depends on where it's at in the season and its ripeness. All right. Oh, I don't have it on this PowerPoint. A major no-no if pitta is aggravated, deep fried foods and cashews. So deep fried foods, just think about the process in which deep fried foods are made. You put them in oil, hot boiling oil. So that heat potential, even if it's cool, going to aggravate heat within the body. And then also cashews. Cashews can tend to aggravate heat in the body. All right, let's look at some kapha foods. I know I'm moving fast, but kapha aggravating foods. So let's ask ourselves and back up again. What does it look like in the body if kapha is aggravated? We have weight gain, obesity, swelling, feeling heavy, tired, lethargic, depressed, foggy. We also have things like polyps, tumors, cysts, overgrowths, and then just this overdevelopment of the body. Now, when kapha is aggravated, we want to specifically avoid and reduce kapha aggravating foods like sweets, candy, sugary drinks, pastries, cakes, cookies, things like that. We want to avoid rich, heavy foods like fettuccine alfredo. We want to avoid salty foods because we understand in the slides before that salty increases kapha. But then there's some foods that we view as really healthy. I'm going to go on a diet and change the way I eat but they can be misleading if you don't know about Ayurvedic nutrition. So things like bananas, dates, coconut, and avocado, those in excess will aggravate kapha as well. And then flour products. Flour products, period, end of sentence. Breads, pastas, tortillas, cakes, cookies, noodles. And then people will say, well, what if it's this kind of flour or that kind of flour? I say, if you want to pick over the product, just stay where you're at. Just get rid of the flour if you really want to make a big health impact. And usually at this stage, people say, but for how long? <laughs> and I'll say, it depends on how long you've been eating badly or eating non-knowledgeably according to the doshas. 
Now, if a person has a kapha aggravation, so meat is heavy, meat is meat is meat. So if you think if the body is already overnourished, we need to begin to deplete it. Whereas dairy and meat are very building or Ayurveda, we call that brimhana. And if cough is aggravated, we want to really reduce oils, fats, including nuts and seeds, because we need to reduce the body tissues or the richness of the body. Now, we talked earlier about how kapha uh, was cold and heavy. So we do need to be mindful of cold drinks. And a lot of people in our current culture and society in the United States, it's what you do. You go to a restaurant and they say, would you like water? Yes, please. And they bring it to you with ice. But just think for a moment, what's the temperature of your stomach? It's at least 99 degrees. What's the temperature of that ice? We know ice is 32 degrees, freezing. Why would you shock your stomach and put such a cold thing into it when you're about to eat and you need this vessel-rich abdomen or vessel-rich mucous membrane of your intestines to absorb our nutrients? And here you've gone and just thrown ice cold water in it. But more than that, we need to be careful with cold because it aggravates kapha and it aggravates vata and it aggravates the digestive system as a whole. Now, I do have a few extra minutes that I do want to talk a little bit about what we call agni. And agni is our digestive fire, our digestive power within the gut. We have a lot of different forms of Agni, but I'll stick just to the digestive Agni. The way that you metabolize your food is critical. And if you're not mindful and kind to maintaining proper Agni in your digestive system, the foods will become abnormally assimilated and you can produce what's called Ama, which is a toxic type of substance that begins to create disease in the body. So when we talk about nutrition in Ayurveda, we know that we shouldn't overeat. In Ayurveda, they say that the stomach, when you've eaten properly, should be half full of food. One quarter compatible liquid and one quarter empty. But what do most of us do if we go out to eat or we sit down to a dinner or a meal? We eat until we feel full and we push ourselves away from the table. And that's really not doing us any justice. And in our society, we tend to think that we have to be full to be satisfied. But we really live in a culture here, particularly in the United States, where we are overfed and undernourished. I'll say that again, overfed and undernourished. So we want to be very mindful of how we're eating, the quantity. And if you know that there are Watha aggravated symptoms, quit eating Watha foods. For how long? Well, until you get better or until you consult somebody to get you back in the balance. Now in Ayurveda, there's a lot of herbs that can be taken to get the person back into balance or processes called the um, Verechana, where we deplete the body, or Brimhana, where we rebuild the body, and it's a process called Panchakarma. But that's something that you should only be doing at an Ayurvedic clinic, and only if there's a disease process. 
So, you know, all throughout the year on my um, website, I do live webinars and they are recorded as well on anatomy and physiology of Ayurveda, an entire course on Ayurvedic nutrition, Ayurvedic lifestyles, Ayurvedic yogic practices, as well as meditation, pranic healing. I've got a lot of information online, a lot of free information online. I've got a YouTube station. I've got a podcast um, where I air different episodes. I have a blog where there's a ton of information on nutrition and Ayurvedic nutrition, as well as non-Ayurvedic nutrition. So if you just go to healthiervibrations.com, everything's on there. You can find the podcast, the YouTube station, the blog, a lot of free education and places where you can find the other classes that are coming up. And I teach the classes year round. So in January, I start a whole new track of classes. So I know that there may be a lot of questions still left in your mind, but hopefully this has given some good background so that you can get started looking at your plate and say, am I eating mostly kapha or am I eating mostly pitta? And the last thing I did want to mention before I open up for questions again is people will say, well, don't we intuitively eat what's best for us? My answer is yes and no. In Ayurveda, we understand that there are multiple levels of disease formation. And at the bottom couple levels of disease, uh, disease process or disease uh, manifestation, the individual, if healthy in mind and body, will intuitively say, no, I think I'll not eat today and I'll just have something warm to drink. But many people, by the time they are looking into new nutrition ways to feel better, have already developed a disease process. And in Ayurveda, once the disease process is layers three and up, the imbalanced dosha will demand to be so when people say, oh my gosh, that's all I eat. What do you mean I shouldn't eat those things? And I'll say, you really have to have the discipline to know what is best for you from an Ayurvedic standpoint, because what you're craving may be exactly what is causing the disease process. And the farther you let the disease process go, the more you will crave those foods. So sometimes we have to go counter to our cravings and really kind of suck it up and just say, you know, I know I have a hyperactivity disorder, constipation, insomnia, dry bowels. I need to put the raw foods down, the dry flaky foods down, and go towards the warm cooked foods. Or if you know that you've got a kapha aggravated problem within the body and you're heavy, tired, and swollen, then you just have to suck it up and avoid the coffee aggravating foods, the pastries, the noodles, the tortillas, the candies, the meat, the cheese, until you get back into balance. And then you can recraft everything. So any questions? So let me look at, there, there were some comments that were coming in. Um, if anyone has a question, you can go ahead and type it in. Um, I think, my comment is it's very um, 
eye-opening and, and a topic for further exploration because, yeah, it's, I think from my side of the fence, right, raw fruits and vegetables are, are, should be good for the body. Um, so, like, some of the things we know is not good for anybody's body, right? Some of the things that just don't belong in the body. Um, but the, the raw fruits and vegetables part, that's interesting. So it's, it's, there's so much information, yeah. different um, modalities and method, uh, methodology. So it's good to just hear it, take it in, and then from there, further explore. That's, yeah, because it, it's, it's interesting. Like, I've, I've, I'm unfamiliar with, I mean, I've heard of Ayurveda nutrition, but just really unfamiliar with all of the things that you um, went over. So it's definitely an interesting tool. And so, I mean, if a person has illness and disease, I feel like they should be willing to try just about anything on the nutrition spectrum until they feel better, whatever it is, at every level. I feel like if you want, if you're at this space in your life and you've tried all these things, but you haven't tried this, then you should. That's the type feel. Until you are yeah. feeling the best that you want to feel, you got to, because food we know is powerful. And everybody's body is so different into what it like. We know what sugar and salt and fried and processed foods, nobody's body really likes that. We like it palate-wise. Right. <laughs> but um, so that that's a good thing. Um, does anybody want to type in any questions or thoughts uh, as we wrap up? So we'll wait to see if anybody chimes in on that. But um, going to your website, healthiervibrations.com, they can find the YouTube and the blogs and the podcasts and all of that information. Is that accurate? There's a ton on there. I have a whole series of Ayurvedic, um, really quick and easy YouTube um, videos. Okay. So I've got one on Watha, one on Pitta, one on Kapha, one on an overview. Okay. And on my blog, I have a lot of really healthy recipes. Okay. I go over um, different foods. I have an entire article on there just on Ayurvedic nutrition. It's, it's a wealth of information that's accessible for free. And I know that the question really that is, 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 is unknown to everyone is which body type they are. So then if they knew that, they could say, oh, goodness, okay, then let me do the, this methodology based on that. So you say if a person wants to know which body type they are, do they have to go to do you say they have to go to Whittier or can they do, how do they find this out over the phone or how does yeah, that? It's breaking up a little bit. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. So, you know, let me go over real briefly. Like I said before, if you go on an online quiz, usually you guess yourself wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because we're looking at ourselves now, maybe we're 20, 30, 40, 50, or beyond. And the baseline constitution is sometimes elusive even to ourselves. But for a standpoint, general um, reference. Uh-oh. Color eyes. Can you hear me? I think you're freezing or something. Uh-oh. Yeah. Am I unfrozen? You un are you there? Well, the good Can you news hear me is, now? Yeah. The good news is you didn't start freezing until now. And some of, one of the, because um, it's, it's just about 7.30, um, 
some one of the um, attendees to thank you for the information. Said it was great, and she had to hop off. Oh, they said not freezing. So they said somebody says not freezing. Okay, go ahead. All right. Continue. So when we look at our general body type, you it's best to have a Ayurvedic specialist determine it. But there are some pretty basic things that you can kind of guess what you are. So. Jack Skellington. Do you know who Jack Skellington is? He's really tall and lean. It's a, a cartoon character. Or let's let's look at animals. That's a better example. So animal vata types would be hummingbirds, chihuahuas. They tend to always be dry, active, and hypermobile. Or the people who are vata types tend to be very lean little bit more of a delicate frame, little more delicate of a digestive system, more delicate sleep. And so they tend to be vata types, but everybody is a combination of all three. But as a general category assumption, kapha types tend to be larger framed, bigger boned, bigger joints, larger heads, bigger hips, they tend to be very well, um, really good stamina, really great immune systems, phenomenal memory. So they tend to be very um, larger. So if you, if you wanted to make a gross generalization, a person from uh, the island, a Samoan, You've seen a Samoan body type. They have very thick, thick statures or uh, different types of body types that are very large and sturdy. Whereas if you take somebody who's very petite and not necessarily short, but very small frame, small wrists, small joints and bones, that tends to be vata. However, Pitta is kind of like Goldilocks. It's right in the middle. All medium, 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 medium frame, medium built, medium immunity, etc. But there's a lot that goes into determining your prakruti. There's a whole list of checkoffs. We look at the person's temperament, the person's memory, the person's body structure, digestion. What I like to do is just Take a look at yourself right now and ask yourself, are you Watha Pitta or Kapha aggravated? And start there. So if you know that you're hyper and have insomnia and a lot of dryness and constipation, lay off the Watha foods. If you know that you're hot, fiery, heated, and aggravated, lay off the Pitta foods. If you know you're really heavy, thick, tired, lay off the Kapha foods. But if you've got a lot of complex symptomology going on, I recommend you can make an appointment with me for a nutritional consultation. Um, I'll be doing that again in January. I'm gonna leave for India soon, so I'm not taking anybody new. Or you can go to SCUHS, Southern California University Health Sciences in Whittier. They're phenomenal. They have traditionally trained Ayurvedic doctors there and an entire clinic where they do treatments as well. And if you really wanna learn, Look at my list of classes coming up. Awesome, thank you, Dr. Smurl. So I typed in, uh, we were having some questions, if I could type in the 
your website address and I did that and I will send out uh, the recording and so I thank you so much um, everyone will get the, uh, the recording including including you dr. Smurl so I'm actually going to stop the recording <laughs>